Hi everyone, this is Christina Mendonca. Thanks for being here for episode four of A Fresh Agenda. This is A Fresh Agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. Thank you for being here for this edition of A Fresh Agenda, where we explore hacks, tips, tricks, and methods for getting into your most creative and productive space. Today, we're talking to Jenny Blake. She is a speaker, career coach, former Google employment coach, and author of the book, Pivot, The Only Move That Matters Is Your Next One. Great book. JP and Morgan selected Pivot for their client Next List 2017, and Business Insider named it among the 20 best books of 2016 and seven books that will change the way you work in 2017. Now, I've read this book twice. I got the hard copy version, and then I also listened to the audio version. And what I like about it is that so many books of this genre talk to one specific generation, just millennials or just Gen Xers or, or people in a specific point in their career. What I like about Pivot is that the concepts that she talks about change and how to navigate that change and her method for pivoting, it works for anyone in any point in their career, whether you're at the beginning of your career, you're looking to make a midlife change, or you're at the end of your career and looking to pivot to something different uh, in a different industry, perhaps. So that's what I love about her book. And I like the audio version because she sounds super friendly, like she's one of your girlfriends talking to you. Jenny Blake joins me now from New York. I'm way out here on the Oregon Coast this week. Jenny, thanks for being here. I loved your book. I read it last year as I was starting to contemplate my own pivot. I did the audio version and love that you read it out loud yourself because it sounds like a, a friend talking to you. Did you uh, want to do this, the audio version yourself? It's funny that you ask. Thank you, first of all, for reading and listening to the book. Yes, I was adamant when I signed the contract that it be me. I couldn't imagine a stranger reading reading the book and telling the stories. It just did not seem right to me. And it was actually a fun challenge to get in there. I can't imagine. You'd be surprised how physically tiring it is to sit there reading and trying to get every word just so. But it was a lot of fun. And, and now I'm grateful. People come up and say things like, oh, you read to me while I'm walking the dog or doing <laughs> dishes or commuting. And so I feel honored to be a part of people's lives in that way. It's really special. That's fantastic. Tell me how you developed the pivot method. It really came out of me not feeling very resilient to change. I felt like every time a change was on the horizon or I was hitting some kind of pivot point or plateau in my career, didn't have that those words, by the way, at the time, I always felt like a crisis. I felt like I was spinning around in circles, beating myself up, feeling like things shouldn't be this way, feeling that something was wrong with me. And why couldn't I just be happy? I was you know, in various dream jobs that I felt like I should have been happy. And so I really developed this as a way to help us all get better at navigating change and figuring out what's next under the hypothesis, which is pretty much proving to be true, that we're all going to be experiencing career change much more frequently than we ever did in the past. Right. And your job at Google was to help people navigate their careers within the company, correct? Yes, I was doing career uh, coaching and career development. And so and I trained over a 1000 people in my first year there. And inevitably, they would come up to me two years in or a year later and say, Jenny, I don't know what to do. I'm kind of bored. And 
you know, I found millennials get such a bad rap in the media for being entitled or job hoppers. And I even thought I was writing pivot. Okay, maybe it's for the millennial set. Absolutely not. As I started to do research, it was people of all ages, all stages, all bank account balance that were both pivoting and getting pivoted. And so it's a tool that, you know, I adopted the motto while working on the book, if change is the only constant, then let's get better at it, that there has got to be a better way to navigate this rather than taking it personally or feeling so lost and confused in a way that isn't productive. I Well, you know, you're absolutely right about perhaps thinking it was the millennials at first, but then knowing that this these concepts would expand because I'm a Gen Xer. I found mm. the book very valuable and I also handed it off to my daughter who, you oh, know, nice. who is... 20 years old and in the process of navigating her own career. So it it is multi-generational and and you're right. We all change is just ubiquitous and 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 even more so nowadays and a lot of Gen Xers and even baby boomers are finding themselves having to having to look, having to pivot. I love your story because it might even be the first time that I've heard of let's say a parent and and their child so you and your daughter sharing the book and being able, one of the things when I use it in the context of managers and their employees is what I love is giving people a shared language to talk about change and career change in a way that's gender neutral and judgment neutral. So rather than calling it a midlife crisis or quarter life crisis, and therefore judging ourselves or making it a bigger problem. So I love hearing that you and your daughter now will have these these just shared language around what's going on and what you're up to and what's coming next. And to do that, over and over again, because the big secret is that we're almost always in a state of pivot somehow, one way or another. Right, right. So tell me, what are what are the steps to the pivot, the basic steps? The, the, the analogy that came to me when I was first trying to make this process more streamlined is that of a basketball player. So when a basketball player stops dribbling, they have one foot firmly planted. That's their source of strength and stability. And then they're pivot foot can scan for passing options. So those that informed the first two stages, two of four stages of the pivot method. Plant is about what's already working. What is your stability and your strength, your foundation? What are you best at? What do you most enjoy? When are you the most in the zone? And the other big source of of stability in a pivot is what does success look like one year from now? How do you want to feel? Where, what is your dream? Even if you don't know specifics yet, what is your ideal average day? How do you want to learn and grow? What kind of impact do you want to make? And even if you could just get those broad strokes of what's working best and where you want to end up, then the second stage scan is about looking for ways to bridge that gap. And scanning is for people, skills, and projects that are related to the plant stage. So either related to your strengths and what's already working or to where you want to end up. And then the third stage is where things really start to get fun. It's pilot. It's like passing the ball around the court, seeing where you have the best opportunity to make a shot. So piloting is all about small experiments that one mistake that I made and I see a lot of pivoters making is putting pressure on themselves to have the entire career pivot figured out up front. When in fact, it's really a series of smaller pilots, not unlike you, Christina, or me starting a podcast. Hey, do I enjoy this thing? Can I become an expert at it? And is there room to expand? It doesn't mean that overnight you're trying to go full time into podcasting, but it's one of several pilots that can help inform the hypotheses that you came up with for your one-year vision. So that's really the crux of the method. And and it's not linear. So someone can 
plant scan pilot, plant scan pilot over and over until they start to achieve a natural sense of momentum in a certain direction. And then the fourth stage launch is when you go all in. So it might be taking a new job, moving locations, quitting a job to start a business, anything. It could even be announcing a new direction to current consulting clients. So launch is when you go all in. But by that point, you feel much more confident and there's little less risk involved, even if it can't be eliminated completely because you followed the first few stages. This concept of piloting, one of the analogies in the book that I really love, um, my husband and I were discussing it at length, is the idea that all of us are like an out-of-the-box iPhone or cell phone yes. with the with the with the standard software and our education and and the standard hardware but then it's up to us to try to download the apps we need to survive Exactly. That careers are not linear. We have this metaphor. Almost everyone has heard of or at one time or another conceptualized their career as a ladder. Okay, I'm going to move up and up and up and here's where I'm trying to go and and it all I've ever seen and for myself and others is it puts so much pressure and it feels like if you make one wrong move, you're going to fall off this ladder into oblivion. But if you think of your career like a smartphone, as you just described so beautifully, that it really is each of us is unique and our phone and those apps on our phone are unique. So it's not a question of whose apps are better than yours. It's do the apps on the, your phone work for you? And apps can be anything you download, skills, experiences, classes, they're, they're smaller, more modular career experiments that all add up to a whole functioning phone or career. One of the executives of, of my former company that I used to talk to was fascinated by the way uh, big companies like Google hire, how they hire people, what they look for. What did you learn in your time at Google that you think uh, made a valuable employee? Interestingly, one of the key traits that we would look for, one of the behavioral traits was adaptability. And I say interestingly because now having written Pivot, it's of course that the, the whole reason I wrote that book is to help us all be more agile and more adaptable in our lives. But at Google, it was very important because the company was reorging as much as they were orging. There was no org there. It was always in a state of flux. And so if someone was going to come into the company and have an expectation of certainty or that things be the same or that they have even full clarity on their job role, forget about it. They, they were never going to be happy. So adaptability was a big one. Someone who was, there's a quality that we would look for called googliness, which actually just meant, are you friendly and interesting? Are you an interesting person? Do you have hobbies outside of work, things that you enjoy? Are you friendly and collaborative? Are you a team player? And and, and not, not even just in the kind of cheesy job searching sense, but really, are you willing to just roll up your sleeves and dig in and, and collaborate and build things with people? It was really that kind of environment. So those were some of the behavioral qualities that, that made a huge difference. I remember when I started there in 2006 and I was there as the company grew from 6,000 to 36,000 employees. And I remember there would be people who would make it through four months of interviews tests, presentations, and they would get rejected by the executive review committee because they lacked a special quality. Hmm. You know, that's really odd to say. It's really intangible. But it wasn't just about, oh, what's your GPA? It was, are you unique? Do you stand out? Are you really going to bring something special here? And are you kind? I mean, really, it's it's meant to be an environment of people who are who are smart and motivated, but also 
kind and, and just nice to each other. So I really, I really do cherish the time that I spent there and still work to them today, to this day. You talk a lot about fear in your book, overcoming it and facing it and fighting it as you work through the different stages. How does fear squelch creativity when it comes to trying to map out your professional life? Well, if we have too much fear, it, it tends to exactly as you said, just squelch it. It puts it, it feels like a chokehold on our creativity because imagine if if you have to make a decision by next week, otherwise you're not going to be able to pay your rent. It's a it's a really tough way to think expansively and to go broad. And that's what the vision step is all about. It's about being creative, thinking if anything were possible, what would you do? Really tuning into your intuition. And so fear can become, really can get a grip on us. And cha- it even changes our brain when we're there's a great book called Scarcity where the authors talk about how when we're in a state of fear or acute stress, we do get tunnel vision towards solving that problem. And so on the other hand, it never worked for me to pretend that I didn't have fear. So always if I, if I try to pretend that, oh, I wasn't fearful and anxious and insecure, it just never worked. I wasn't one of those people. There's very kind of a, a masculine sense of advice in the at least the personal development sphere sometimes about like crush your fear smash your fear (laughs) destroy your fear and it never really works so actually I see my fear as a friend and I don't need for it to go away it's it's okay if it's there usually fear is just trying to protect us so I find it more helpful to have a dialogue with my fear to say oh hey cool I see you what's up what's on your mind you know what what are you trying to protect me from in what ways are you trying to keep me safe? Okay, great. Don't worry. I got this, you know. And so it's like having a, a more peaceful dialogue that allows me to keep taking steps forward. And so same for any of you listening. Um, and if I can tell you from speaking to thousands of people in the last year since the book came out, there's just nothing more normal, thought that I love that word, but then feeling fearful and a little anxious and a little insecure and a little unsure. And that's the environment that we're in. So rather than taking that personally or making it a problem, just celebrate it and say, oh, oh wow, cool. Absolutely. Yes. Something I, new or and, I must be on the cusp of change. And and you also in yeah, your book mentioned controlling the things that you can control. I mean, things like your health, uh, you know, things that you're, you're doing throughout the day, keeping routines that keep you feeling strong and healthy and able to face those fears. Absolutely. And treating your body like, because it's true that um, I I once wrote a blog post called bad mood, get your body right. That actually a bad mood, we go through so many mental gymnastics. And when we're in a pivot, we're already asking huge questions of ourselves every day. So sometimes turning around a bad mood or even feeling stuck on a career change, all you need to do is get some sleep, go outside for a walk, go for a run or workout, go to a yoga class, um, get some vitamin D, like is just, just, just cut out alcohol for a week, which is a depressant. Maybe, um, change your diet a little bit. Anything that starts to shift your chemistry, your body chemistry can then impact and positively impact your mood. So honoring your body and your own rituals. And another thing I work with a lot of executives the one thing that they're often missing in their life, it's not that they're not smart enough to figure out their next move. It has nothing to do with that. But they don't have a lot of space. Mm. And so sometimes the first thing we'll work on is just how can you carve out one hour for yourself a day or 
a couple hours a week to give you some space to just be quiet and go inward and and just reflect in a more peaceful manner. What do you need you do personally when you need to get into a creative space? You need to write, you need to write a speech. What do you do? I have a daily meditation practice which has made a huge difference in my life over the last five years. Sometimes if, if I do as little as 10 minutes, that's fine, though I find 20 or 25 is ideal. Meditating is really important. I also start my day with a sense of ritual. So I wake up and have tea and read hmm. for sometimes one or two hours. And that really, it helps kind of just ease my brain into the day. And so let's say I read for a few hours, then meditate. And in my meditation, if I have something on my mind, like a book or a speech, like you mentioned, Sometimes I'll just cue it up and I'll, I'll try and not, not spiral with my mind, but it, get a body sense for who am I really trying to connect with. And I'll picture the audience or I'll picture the reader and, and go for a body impression of what, what would they want to hear? How could I be most helpful? And just sit with that question in silence. And then, and then usually that brings quite a lot of clarity. And so I don't try and bite it all off at once too. Sometimes maybe one day it's, how could I open? What could I open with? And then maybe the next day it might be uh, other details that I'm trying to work out. With the book out now for about a year and, and you talking to people and doing these speeches, what have you learned from, uh, what have you learned from the method or what, what have you been most surprised that people have learned from your method? Well, one of my favorite things is when after a speech, someone will come up at a book signing and say, oh my gosh, I felt like a crazy person my whole life because I keep changing and everyone always thought I was nuts. And now I realize I'm a pivot pro. So for some people, it just reframes that actually they're now the experts on this new landscape because they were the ones that were making changes and, and always looking to learn and grow and keep things interesting. So that's fun. And then on a personal level, uh, two things. When the book came out, I had no idea how much rest I was truly going to need after that big push. And I think sometimes after a big career pivot, it's often the case that if you're changing jobs after five, 10 years at a company or more, uh, there's a decompression period that sometimes it's not that, oh, you're, you're, forget about it. You're never going to be motivated again. But it's like sometimes there's even a six month period of just decompression from such an intense period of life and to transition. And so really learning to be okay with the void, what I call the void. And um, the other thing is that even though I wrote this book on pivoting, when it came out, I still had no clue what was next for me. I had lined up all these different business pilots for streams of income, but I had no clue which one was going to take off. So the difference was how much calmer I felt this time around and how much I've really seen that none of us can know up front which of our pilots or experiments is going to take off. And that's not our job to decide. It's actually, it's just our job. I, I liken it to racehorses at the Kentucky Derby. Our job is just to line up those racehorses or these pilots and say, go. And let, let them inform us about which ones start to take off. And so that I've really started to just lean more and more into that process and that mindset post, post book launch. I love that. I love that. All right. So, so tell me more about your podcast and some of your other projects and how people can find you. 
Sure. Yeah. I also have a podcast called Pivot Podcast and um, I have a private community called Momentum where I do twice monthly Q&A calls. It's a great place for side hustlers and solopreneurs, anyone who's looking for just feedback and accountability and support. And then I have a great team of six pivot coaches for if any of you listening want a two session pivot jumpstart to kickstart a next move. That's another great option. So you can find all of this at pivotmethod.com slash toolkit. There are a ton of free templates and resources uh, slash momentum or slash coaching for everything I mentioned. And uh, yeah, just so honored to be here. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be here with you, Christina, and just hear about everything that's going on with you, too. Thank I'm you, curious, Jenny. Um, since you read the book and passed it on to your daughter, what's the what's the one thing that you're focusing on at the moment? Uh, I think, you know, the decompression really uh, resonated with me. Just it's very mm-hmm. intense period, 20, more than 20 years with one company. So that, and also the, um, the sense of adventure, I feel, mm. I mean, my kids are pretty so much cool. grown and I can pivot any number of ways where I couldn't have, you know, 10 years ago, say. I love it. That's so cool. It's fun. It's fun. You know, sometimes we have such such fear. Like I bet if if you talked to your former self that was a year before making this transition, you'd have been so much more fearful of what's on the other side. And then when you're in it, it's actually the adventure can be quite fun. So it's cool that you're having that feeling. Absolutely. Like I told you, I, I thought I'd be sad, but I haven't spent one day yeah. sad. It's <laughs> amazing. So, so encouraging. Great. Jenny Blake, thank yeah, you so much awesome. for your time. Pivot, the only move that matters is your next one. Excellent book. You can find it anywhere. Amazon, review it, pass it on. And, and we so appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks for being here for this episode of A Fresh Agenda. You can reach out to me at christinamendonsa.com. You can also find more podcast episodes there and on SoundCloud as well. See you next time. This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.